Welcome to World Policy on Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal, published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. On this week's show, posting September 11th, 2015, we talk with Elisa Goldberg about contrasting conditions for Jews and Judaism in Turkey and the Czech Republic. Her essay in the WPJ summer issue is headlined, Fear in Istanbul, Relief in Prague. We'll also point out other top stories in the summer issue. But first, some timely insights from Washington with Paul Brandis, who runs the West Wing Reports News Service. Well, Congress is back in town, and at the top of its agenda, the Iran nuclear deal. There's majority opposition in both the House and Senate, which are dominated by Republicans. But because of the way Congress works, there aren't enough votes to pass a measure disapproving of the deal. Speaking of the Middle East, Russia acknowledges that it has military advisors in Syria. The Kremlin has been a longtime backer of Bashar al-Assad, the Syrian president. The U.S. wants Assad out and blames Moscow for making a bad situation worse. Washington has asked Bulgaria and Greece to ban Russian flights to Syria from flying through their airspace. Bulgaria is now doing so. A Kremlin spokeswoman dismisses all this as, quote, anti-Russian hysteria. And ahead of this month's visit to Washington by China's President Xi, there are more calls by conservatives to cancel the visit. Among their reasons, anger over alleged cyber hacking of public and private sector targets. The White House says, as every president since Nixon has said, that the U.S. must continue to engage with China. And now there's word that Xi will engage himself with America's top tech firms. On the way to Washington later this month, he'll stop off in the other Washington, as in Washington State, to meet with executives from firms like Google, Apple, and Microsoft. The so-called Internet Industry Forum will explore ways of deeper collaboration between U.S. firms and the People's Republic. For World Policy On Air, I'm Paul Brandis at the White House. You're listening to World Policy On Air. Now this. You know the famous slogan, Ich bin ein Berliner. Now we all must say, I am a Jew. Bir şarkçı Kemal'in bu bebek katillerinin, bu İsrail yönetiminin er ya da geç yaptıklarının hesabını hukuk içinde vereceğini biliyoruz. Filistin yalnız değilsin. Gazze after the Islamist terror attacks on a Jewish market in Paris and the satirical newspaper Charlie Hebdo last year, Czech President Miloš Zeman called for the ultimate in personal identification with the fight against Islamist violence and anti-Semitism. Also last year, Turkish Prime Minister, now President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, promised to keep Jewish citizens safe, but said they should denounce Israeli military operations across the Gaza border. Quote, if half our hearts are in Istanbul, the other half is in Gaza, he also said, and spoke of retaliation against synagogues for any Jewish attacks on Muslim mosques, particularly Al-Aqsa in Jerusalem. 
The contrast in rhetoric reflects a world of difference in the way Jews are treated in each leader's country as violent Islamism spreads in the Middle East and helps prompt anti-Semitism far beyond. An article on the subject is featured in the summer 2015 issue of World Policy Journal under the headline, Fear in Istanbul, Relief in Prague. The author is Eliza Goldberg, a graduate student at Columbia University School of International and Public Affairs, and we talked about it earlier for this podcast. Lisa Goldberg, welcome to World Policy On Air. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. To begin, what are the relative Jewish populations of Turkey and the Czech Republic at this point, and in what direction is each headed? I would say that the Jewish populations in both Turkey and Czech Republic are dwindling. Right now, the population of Turkey is around 79 million, uh, but less than 1% of the population identifies as a religion other than Islam. In the Czech Republic, uh, already the population is only around 10.6 million people, and a little over 1% identifies as a religion other than Catholicism or Protestantism. You write about the difference between visiting the major Jewish synagogues in Prague and Istanbul. First, tell us about the experience at, I'll try to pronounce this right, Staranova Synagoga, <laughs> the old new synagogue in Prague. Right. I think you pronounced it correctly, but I'll also go with the old new synagogue. Um, so the old new synagogue in Prague is located within a designated Jewish quarter. So I had passed two or three other synagogues before even approaching this one. Uh, the synagogues in Prague serve mostly as tourist sites now, but the old new synagogue is open daily for prayers. Uh, I went on a weeknight during a time of no real Jewish significance, but still the synagogue was filled mostly with Czech men. Um, I was in the the women section, which was separated, but I was able to talk to many of the visitors after the, the service had ended. But very high security, you describe. Yes, there were two guards in the front of the um, the synagogue. They were asking me questions. At one point, they asked if I was a Russian spy. Uh, I had to show them on my notepad um, that it said World Policy and that I was really affiliated with World Policy Journal in order to gain entrance. And what was it like, by contrast, at Istanbul's Neve Salom Synagogue Vatsky? The Neve Shalom Synagogue uh, was located in the Asian side of Istanbul in a fairly residential community, so the area was quiet. I couldn't even get into the synagogue or talk to anyone on the phone or through the security intercom. Uh, it was beautiful in, in front, but there was really no one there I could talk to. It was deserted. Both cities have a checkered past when it comes to treatment of Jews. Remind us about Prague at the time of the Holocaust. Uh, I mean, I'm not a, an academic on the subject, but Prague at the time of the Holocaust was certainly supported um, by the Nazi regime. The Czech Republic has not tried to hide that fact. Um, Nevertheless, Czechs felt betrayed by the Munich Agreements, almost as if they'd been set up. The Munich Agreements, um, those allowed Germany to invade Czech Republic. So Czech Republic can sympathize with Israel's situation as a small nation surrounded by hostile neighbors, since Czech Republic was in a similar position back during the, the Second World War.
talk about the differences in Jewish lifestyle and, and sense of identity, uh, open and confident in Prague, more or less largely hidden in Istanbul, like uh, the deserted uh, synagogue suggests. Give us some other examples. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I would say from my impression of Prague that the the Jewish presence is treated almost like a, a tourist attraction. So they're they're proud. They don't try and hide the fact that Prague has a Jewish quarter. Uh, they were selling tchotchkes such as um, little marionettes of, of rabbis um, around that area. Um, so it, there are even mementos of, of the Czech Jewish history that you can take back to your home country if you're a visitor. Um, Turkey, on the other hand, it's just not even discussed. Um, there's no visible presence outside of swastikas and um, other graffiti, anti-Semitic graffiti on, on the walls of uh, different Istanbul streets that even shows that Jews exist there. <laughs> Both the Czech and Turkish governments have contained violence against Jews, but as you found and were just saying, not always hateful speech and graffiti. Uh, You mentioned Istanbul. Say more about what you saw there, then we'll talk about Prague. Sure. So, like I mentioned before, in Istanbul, there were swastikas drawn large on many streets. There were messages written in English. perhaps in Turkish also, that praised Hitler, uh, billboard advertisements um, that were very well designed in the metro and by bus stops and other public landmarks, demonstrated support for Gaza, um, portraying the country as this innocent victim caught in a senseless and random act of violence. Um, In the media, there's a lot of blatant hate towards all ethnic minorities, and it it seems to be celebrated as if it were a component of Turkish patriotism. But it's interesting. There is both graffiti suggesting a, a praise of Hitler, but also the use of a comparison between Israel and Hitler to the degree yes. that uh, the government sees uh, the Israelis as the aggressor. Right, exactly. And there are even graffitis that showed an Israeli soldier with a, a Jewish star on his helmet, but Throughout the the whole image, there was a big swastika. It was very confusing. Talk more about the contrasting government reactions to the Gaza fighting. The Czech government didn't involve itself much in the Gaza conflict in 2014 or really ever, but uh, has made public statements in support of the Jewish community mainly because of the rapidly resurfacing anti-Semitism through most of Europe during that time. The Turkish government, on the other hand, has always been a very public supporter of uh, the Gaza region and I believe has even provided military assistance uh, to nations fighting against Israel. And how have those government reactions and the fighting itself affected attitudes towards Jews in each country? There's this conflation between the Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF, and the Jewish people. So any in, in which country, in which country in which country? Uh, I would say 
uh, in both countries. Uh-huh. Um, it's hard to really measure um, attitudes towards Jews in in both countries or really any country. But I mean, like we were mentioning earlier in terms of graffiti, it's it's definitely much more apparent in Turkey um, with like we were discussing before this parallel between uh, the Israeli soldier with its Star of David helmet and then a huge swastika drawn over the whole image. Um, so the, the IDF is definitely seen as um, the enemy, the aggressor, and that has translated into a lot of um, hateful sentiments towards all Jews, as if Jews are the the spokespeople for the Israelis. And Erdogan has even been one of those people to conflate Jews and Israeli soldiers. Talk more about the differences in the way mainstream media in the two countries covers the Middle East conflict and local anti-Semitism. Uh, well, I, I spoke to the head of the security policy department at the Czech Ministry of Foreign Affairs, who told me that the Czech news seems to take a mainly pro-Israel stance in its coverage. Um, headlines that were very neutral, like there was a rocket from Gaza, Israel responded, or Israel started a ground attack in Gaza, about 70,000 midfielders were called, just very... Um, undramatic <laughs> considering the circumstances. Um, but on the other hand, the Turkish press, their headlines um, said things like poisonous statements from Israeli prime minister, Germany had one Hitler, how many are there in Israel? Um, how can I not be anti-Semitic? Is killing Zionists licit? Uh, so you can definitely tell the difference in tone between those two. Did I read correctly in your piece that a devoted to underreported news of interest to the Jewish community self-censored coverage of the Gaza fighting and reaction to it? Uh, why not balance anti-Israel media bias? Well, uh, I believe you're talking about the Shalom paper. Yes. Uh, and I spoke to one of the editors of that newspaper who says that um, she feels hopeless and just uh, she self-censors as a reaction to the way other Turkish media has covered the Gaza conflict. So she feels like because it's so unbalanced, everywhere else that there's no need and not even a hope for her paper to be the only balanced one in surrounding so many unbalanced ones. So she, she does report on the Gaza conflict and reports on reactions to the war, but uh, she admitted that she, she has restricted articles about that topic um, so that she could give her readers a sense of other areas of the Jewish community that that didn't focus on that particular conflict. Is there any chance that that policy also hopes to avoid pressure from the government because it would differ from the government-backed policies? Perhaps, yeah. Hmm. 
Social media uh, can spread and magnify hateful speech and provocative rumors, but they also empower countervailing comments, even in Turkey. Uh, tell us more about that. Sure. Well, due to the easy shareability of Facebook and Twitter, people have passed snippets of information on the 2014 war in Gaza from one person's account to another person's account to another. Uh, so hate speech really became just commonplace and another message to be shared and proliferated through Facebook and Twitter. Um, I believe that social media has really changed citizens' view of war because this connectivity allows those formerly removed to sympathize more closely with those who are in the heat of the conflict. Uh, and I found that especially during um, the, the war in Gaza last year, seemed that every citizen had some sort of commentary to offer, but the issue in Gaza is very complicated and really warrants more discussion than just a hashtag. But you said there was backlash against some of the hate speech that was on the Internet. Yes. Uh, I spoke to an Israeli-American professor. He teaches at Brooklyn College in, in uh, New York. Um, and a Turkish professor had tweeted at him that uh, Treblinka will be ready soon, constructing the railway to transport Jews at the moment. Treblinka being a, uh, an infamous uh, death camp during the Holocaust. Correct, correct. So, and that was tweeted directly at uh, Louis Fishman, this professor I was just mentioning. Uh, so it was a veiled but still direct threat at Fishman, but um, he said that reply tweets uh, called this Turkish professor's language disgusting and shameful, and so uh, having all of that public only helped to reinforce Fishman's own stance on the issue. What are the overall lessons you draw from each country on the impact of political leadership and uh, press policy, press law, uh, and attitudes affecting Jewish communities? I think the Czech Republic can serve as a, a model of what European countries can do to, to quell anti-Semitic sentiments. Um, Though Czech Jews enjoy a more privileged existence based on historical partnerships, uh, the country still has maintained this relationship well through effective leadership and press laws. Uh, by contrast, a more independent Turkish press, more oversight of the Turkish government, and even just acknowledgement of a turbulent past with Turkish Jews could, could help establish a safe space in Turkey. Um, the, I mean, the future of European Jewry is unlikely to become this perfect utopia, but anti-Semitism really doesn't have to be an assumed narrative, and there, there could be work done. That's Europe, but Turkey, the reports are, and the prognosis, the predictions are that Erdogan is taking it more and more in an Islamist direction, although he did suffer a, a defeat at the, the polls in recent election, and I wonder if you think that may have some effect on uh, either uh, uh, tamping down anti-Semitism or actually infuriating those who are uh, most responsible for it. Right. I think the more 
traditional Islamist approach that has taken over the the government in Turkey is not promising for the future of Turkish Jews. Uh, already, there are only 15,000 Jews in in um, in Istanbul, and I imagine those numbers will continue dwindling unless, like I said, there's more independent Turkish press, more oversight in the government. Um, but until then, I I don't see the situation improving very much. Elisa Goldberg, thank you. Thank you. It was great talking with you. Elisa Goldberg is a graduate student at Columbia University School of International and Public Affairs, focusing on international security policy and global media. Her article in the WPJ Summer Issue is headlined, Fear in Istanbul, Relief in Prague. Also featured in the summer 2015 issue of World Policy Journal, you'll find articles on developing solar wind and nuclear power, about China's smothering skies, and about answers from six continents to the issue's big question, who has the most to lose from climate change in your country? Plus, tune in to next week's podcast as we begin to explore the new World Policy Journal fall issue. World Policy on Air is a production of World Policy Journal at the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. Editor-publisher David Andelman, managing editor Yaffa Frederick, online news editor and podcast producer Matthew DeMello. I'm David Alpern. <laughs>